Would you pray with me? Father, again, amazing, amazing grace that you have poured out on us. We thank you for this wonderful gift. And I pray, even now, as we continue to look at the gospel message through Romans, that you would help us to understand what it is that you have freely given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're studying Romans 1 through 8 here at Cornerstone, and we're not quite halfway through, so if you haven't yet started reading it on your own at home, there is plenty of time for you to do that. And I love that, just opening up your word at home, God speaking directly to you. One of the things that I've been trying to point out so far in our study of Romans is that we need righteousness. We need it desperately. Without righteousness, we have no hope of eternal life. I've been reading a really good book. I just finished it. Um, In there, there's a Christian who's sharing the gospel with a non-Christian. And one of the things he said in there caught my attention. It was this. He said, if heaven is going to be a perfect place, by definition, there can be no sinners in it. Now, it's at the same time both good and bad news. Kind of like the book of Romans, actually, I thought. The good news is that God wants to keep heaven as a perfect place. And the reason I say that's good news is because we wouldn't want it any other way. We wouldn't want heaven to be some place where we take all of our mess and our sin with us, right? We, we know that there's something wrong with this place. We know that there's something wrong in our lives. Every single one of us feels the mess, the pain, the sin. We know there's something wrong. So we wouldn't want God just to say, okay, heaven can be just like earth. But at the same time, it's bad news because, as Paul has clearly stated in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. So heaven's going to be this perfect place, but here we are as sinners. Now, fortunately, Romans tells us the rest of the good news. It tells us of God's plan to make us righteous so that we can be with him and live with him forever. So if the problem is that we are not perfect, there are two ways that we humans might try to solve this problem. One way would be to try to earn our righteousness before God, to say to God, okay God, I realize there's a gap in holiness between you and me, but you know what God, I'm going to make it up. I know I've done some things wrong, but from here on out God, I'm really going to do better. I'm really going to try hard, and I am going to make myself righteous. And actually a lot of people all over the world are trying that, whether it's non-Christians who have some sort of religion based on works where they try to present themselves as holy as they can before their God, or whether it's Christians who have a misunderstanding of the gospel message. And there are people like that, people in church at, at this very hour all across the world probably who are thinking to themselves that they will try to present themselves as righteous before God. The problem is we can't do it that way. The only way for us to be made righteous is this other option where we receive righteousness as a gift freely from God. So perhaps Paul's main point so far in the book of Romans is to urge us to consider that we can't earn righteousness on our own. And if you would like to try, let me give you this analogy. I want you to picture somebody who has just been hired at a restaurant their first week on the job. And let's say at the restaurant they're doing all sorts of things in the kitchen, bussing tables, doing dishes... And let's say that at the end of that one week of employment, the employee goes up to his manager and says, okay, how much have I earned? And the employer goes back to the employee and says, well, let's take a look at it. I've been watching you. I saw you help yourself to two free cheeseburgers. I saw you help yourself to limitless, endless supplies of free refills. 
I saw you spill that bag of french fries all over the floor, ruining the french fries and making my other staff have to clean up your mess. I saw you when you were busting tables. You dropped a whole stack of plates and you broke them all. And that was just day number one. So all told, taking into consideration what I told you that I would pay you per hour, you owe me $132. Now some people might push back and say, well, wait a second, that employee, he could get better, and week two might be better, and week three even better, and he might get to the point where he's a useful employee. But let me say this to you. If your goal is to go before God and say, Hey God, I'm finally here. Look what I've done. How does my righteousness look to you? You know what his answer is going to be? Death. If we ask him, God, what have I earned? The answer is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages, what you have earned, the wages of sin, is death. So earning our own righteousness before God doesn't work. But like I said, fortunately, there's another way. And that's what Romans tells us about. Romans tells us about righteousness through faith. Now, it's interesting. I, I'm picturing the Apostle Paul telling this to people. And some people might respond then, as some people might respond now, saying, Hey, Paul, haven't you changed the rules? Didn't the Old Testament tell us that we were supposed to try to follow God's law? And that's how we'd be made right? Well, Paul answers that critique here in Romans 4. So today our passage is about faith versus works. And to, to make his argument more clear that righteousness comes through faith and not through works, Paul's going to look back to the Old Testament and say, we see it there too. Okay, so our passage today is Romans 4, verses 1 through 8, and I want to read it now. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, was declared righteous by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Okay, looking at verses 1 through 3 first, we see clearly again this distinction between faith and works. It's the same distinction we saw last Sunday when we looked at Romans 3, 21 through 31. Remember in that passage last week, nine times in that passage we saw words for righteousness or justify, and nine times in that passage we saw words for faith or belief. So there was a, a connection there at the end of Romans 3 between faith and righteousness, and Paul carries on that connection into Romans 4, talking a lot about righteousness and talking about the way that we get it is through faith. So when Paul asks what Abraham discovered in this matter, the matter is faith versus works as a way to righteousness. And, and what Abraham discovered is that we are justified, or the, the same word means declared righteous, through faith and not through works. Again, our works are completely insufficient. Completely. If we were to try to go before God, it would not be enough. What does Scripture say? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God would say it's not enough. 
Now that's a huge problem for us. But God has the solution. So in our passage today, we see that phrase. I spoke kind of at length on this phrase last Sunday. It's the phrase, justifies the wicked. We see that God is a God who justifies the wicked. It's an amazing phrase. God justifies or declares to be right those who are wicked. Now, wicked is a description of us. Do you know why? It's not because every single thing we've ever done is wicked. It's, it's not that we've always done the most wicked thing possible. Even the most wicked person in the world knows how to do some good things. So it's not saying that we're as wicked as we could be. I think what it's saying is that if we look at ourselves as a whole and, and we think about the good things we've done mixed together with all this sin, the end result is that we fall in the category of the wicked. But it says that God justifies the wicked. God declares righteous the wicked. How does he do it? Well, Abraham learned that it's through faith. So it comes through faith. And, and what Paul says there in verses 1 and 2 is that Abraham didn't have anything to boast about then. And, and if you think about it, if there was anybody who had reason to boast about his faith, it would have been Abraham. Think about what Abraham could have said. He could have said, I look around the whole world and I see I'm the one. I'm the one that God chose. He picked me. He gave me something to do. I did it. I am following God. But could Abraham then go before God and boast? Could Abraham then compare his righteousness to God's righteousness and say, hey God, I, I look pretty good? No. He would fall short, just like every single one of us. And that's why we need God to step in. That's why we need God's solution to our problem. So if any of you out there, and, and again, this is more serious than you might think, because there are people in this world who believe that they can try to present themselves righteous before God. Let me just say this. Let me put the final nail in the coffin here. We cannot earn our way to eternal life. We cannot do it. There is no way for us to make it that way. On our own, we are not righteous. Abraham knew that, so he put his faith in God. And to make his point, Paul quoted Abraham uh, from the Abraham story in Genesis 5, excuse me, in verse 3 here, he quoted from the Gen Genesis story of Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, saying, well, first Paul added, what does the scripture say? And I love that little line there. Scripture settles the argument. By the way, that's who we are here at Cornerstone Church. What does scripture say? And what did scripture say here? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. A few weeks ago, my family and I visited La Crosse, Wisconsin, and we were there on a Sunday, so we went to church there that Sunday, and the pastor was a guy that I don't know, so I didn't influence his thoughts at all on this, but he was quoting from a different New Testament passage, quoting the same verse, and he said, Genesis 15:6 is theologically the most important verse in the Old Testament. And I think he has good reason for saying so. It's quoted several times in the New Testament, it, and following Paul's logic, it makes sense. We can't earn righteousness on our own, so we need it to be given to us through some other way. And that way is through faith. And when the New Testament talks about faith so often, it talks about Abraham. You, know, you want to know what faith is? Look at Abraham. So that's what we're going to do here real quick. And I've got a little homework assignment for you. I'm kind of into these homework assignments lately, but they're all for you to read scripture on your own. So on your own, read three snippets from Abraham's life. The first half of Genesis 12, the first half of Genesis 15, 
and then all of Genesis 22. So those three chapters give you three glimpses of faith in the life of Abraham. And real quickly, we'll just walk through them here. In Genesis 12 is where the Lord had a message for Abraham. He said, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. In the following two verses after that, God told Abraham all the blessings that he would pour out on him if Abraham would walk by faith. And, and what does it say that Abraham did? Did he put together a feasibility study and get a focus group and ask all his family and friends what they thought? No. Right after God told him what to do, it says in 12.4, So Abram left as the Lord had told him. That's faith. And even kids, if I can just get you real, your little kids' attention here. One of the things I love about this Abraham story is that, that we, even little kids can get this. God told Abraham what he was supposed to do, and Abraham believed in God, so he did it. And it was as simple as God saying, Go. I want you to go. And for Abraham, that might have been a difficult choice because he, was, he probably had a life figured out already. He had family and friends and a job, and there were probably things that he didn't want to give up. But when God said, go, Abraham went. And that's what faith is. Trusting in the one who leads us. And then doing what he says. Three chapters later, we see God making another promise to Abraham. This time it had to do with something that defied all human wisdom. This time God said, I'm going to give you a son. said that to Abraham who was old and his wife was old, past the age of bearing children. But what does it say that Abraham's response was? In Genesis 15:6? Abraham believed the Lord and credited, credited it to him as righteousness. So I love this picture of faith. In spite of very serious questions, in spite of you know, what science might have said or whatever it was, Abraham believed in God. Maybe it didn't make sense to Abraham, but Abraham decided to trust the Lord. Now, infertility was something that Abraham and Sarah were struggling with. And let me just stop here by way of application and ask, is there anything that any of you in here are struggling with? Is there anything in your life that you're looking at right now and thinking, I wish that maybe God would do something differently? Well, let me just say this. Faith means to look to the one that we know to be faithful and good and that we continue to follow him anyways. Now, I'm not suggesting that God will give you a miracle like he gave to Abraham in his situation. Maybe he will, but maybe he won't and maybe he just wants you to know that he will be with you as you go through it. And that's one of the great messages of our God, is that whatever we go through, he wants to go through with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and we can have faith in him. We can trust in him. And then one more story of Abraham's faith in Genesis 22. God asked Abraham to go and sacrifice the very son that God promised that he would give him. The son through whom Abraham was promised he would become the father of many nations. And God said, now go sacrifice him. And what did Abraham do? Did he get angry at God and say, hey, no way am I going to do that to my son? Or, I wonder if I would have, you know, I'm kind of a logical thinker. I wonder if I would have gone to God and said, hey, um, God, you might have forgotten what you said to me. Uh, you promised to give me this son. You promised that I was going to have many nations come through me, and you kind of need a son to do that. So, God, you must have made a mistake in what you... I hope I wouldn't say that. That's not what Abraham said. What did it say? In 22.3, it says, Abraham did what God told him to early the next morning. 
twice in Abraham's life, we see this immediacy of faith. God revealed something to Abraham and he followed by faith. So when it says that Abraham believed God and credited to him his righteousness, Abraham believed in the Lord. He believed what God had revealed to him. So what is it that God has revealed to us? Well, lots of things. He's revealed his word to us. And he's revealed something to us that he didn't even reveal to Abraham yet. He's revealed to us Jesus Christ. So as we think about what it is that we are to believe or who it is we are to believe in, we are to believe in Jesus Christ. And if we do, God will credit righteousness to us. Righteousness is through faith. We are to trust God with everything that we have. Give our lives to Him and to follow Him. We can't be righteous on our own, but if we put our faith in God, God will declare us righteous. Now, the word credit appears a lot in our passage. What does it mean? I want you to picture a bookkeeper or somebody keeping payroll. Their job is to make things line up at the end of the day. If they've got two sides of their ledger, they're supposed to be able to look at those two sides and reconcile them. And they're supposed to be very good at knowing what goes in and what goes out. And who could be better at that than God? God who sees everything, who knows everything. So if you think in this sense of God as keeping a book, he has decided as bookkeeper here to credit something to our side of the account that we did not earn. He credits the very righteousness of Christ to us. If we have faith in Christ, that is what is given to us and we are declared righteous. Not because we have earned righteousness, not because we've acted rightly, but because God loves us and he credits that to our account. Okay, Paul continues to go on now to talk about faith versus works in 4 and 5. I want to read them again. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So let me point out the contrast again. In verse 4, it talks about a gift versus an obligation. The word gift is the same word for the word grace. And the word obligation refers to what we have earned. So again, if you think about a person working at a job, or for you, you you work a job and you go to your employer and your employer gives you a check. That check that you get is actually not an act of grace. That's an act of obligation. The terms of service had been agreed to. You worked for it, and then the employer was obligated to pay you that. And again, if we think about salvation like that, and if we were to go to God at the end of our life and say, okay, God, what is it that I've earned? Again, what would the answer be? Death. The wages of sin is death. So it doesn't work like that, okay? It's not like we spend our whole lives working and trying to earn God's favor. It's that God declares those righteous who have faith in him. If you you don't trust in your own effort to make it to God, but rather believe in Jesus Christ, then God will declare you righteous. And this is an act of God's grace and his mercy, and he gives it to us as a gift. And I want you to know how wonderful that gift is. A pastor friend told me, I I have a a pastor, he lives in Australia, he and I went to seminary together, and we call each other every week to help each other prepare our sermons. 
And, and as I was telling him about what passage I was preaching through this week, he said this is a life passage for him, verses 4 and 5. He says because in these verses he understands what grace is. And he was telling me about the great freedom that he feels in these verses. Because think about it this way. On our own, we are not good enough. And, and if, if we had to try to earn it our way to God, we couldn't do it. But look at what these verses tell us. They tell us that we don't have to earn our way to God, but that God shows us the way through Jesus Christ as a gift to us. And there is freedom then. Freedom to know that the response that God is looking for from us is simply that of faith, to believe in him and to live according to the ways that he has revealed to us. Lots of people, again, try it the other way, but it doesn't work. The message of the gospel is that he loves us and wants us to be saved. God is full of grace, and I hope you know that. I hope you know that. I hope that in my preaching I don't come across saying otherwise. I hope I don't come across as saying, you know what, you really need to shape up because you guys just don't cut it. I hope, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry if that's, uh, that's the way it's happened here. I want you to know that God is a God of grace and he loves you and he, through the blood of his, Christ, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, wants to declare you righteous so that you can live with him forever in the place that's perfect so that you can be made perfect. So again, either we try to earn this on our own, which we can't do, or we accept the gift. Romans 3.24 talks about how we are justified freely by his grace. Freely by his grace, by his gift to us. So this pastor friend of mine said, to try to earn righteousness is to reject the gift. It's amazing. I was thinking about that. Sometimes in life, doing it yourself is honorable, right? Like, let's say, I was thinking about boot camp, and let's say that there's an obstacle course, and let's just say that there was one obstacle that you just had such a hard time getting over. Maybe it's the wall that you had to scale, and you tried and tried and tried, and you just couldn't do it. It might be an honorable thing for you to go out there and try as hard as you can and to try to get yourself over that wall. And, you know, maybe somebody, maybe you're a... what, what do they call the guy, your, your boot camp officer, the drill sergeant? Um, I know very little about these sorts of things. Um, maybe he felt so bad for you at one time that he actually got on top of that wall and put his hand down and said, let me help you out. And, and maybe you said, no, I want to do this on my own. That might be honorable. But it's not honorable in our context as we talk about salvation because God has told us we can't do this on our own. And he is there with his hand reaching down to us saying, I will pull you out of this. And to try to earn that on your own is to reject the gift. So we have to know it comes only from faith. And now just a quick side note here. What we're talking about is how we are declared righteous, how we, how we receive salvation. But after we receive that gift, we are to do good works. But we have to get the order right. Faith first, right? We don't earn our way to God and then receive the gift. We receive the gift first. And then from there, as a response of worship to God, our lives are to be filled with good works, good things that we do. God has actually prepared good works for us to walk around in. That's Ephesians 2.10. But we have to get the order right. Faith first. And flowing out of faith, good works. Okay, and then verses 6 through 8. Uh, we've read these several times already today, so I'll just uh, not re- read them here. 
But in these verses, Paul is continuing to contrast faith versus works. And this time, he goes to the Old Testament to make his point. He goes to King David, who wrote Psalm 32. So this is the second part of your homework assignment. This is a much shorter one. Read Psalm 32. It's uh, only 11 verses long. It won't take you very long. But uh, in that psalm, David starts off talking about the blessedness of the man who is forgiven, whose transgressions and sins are covered. Now, it's helpful to notice the difference between the words transgressions and sins. They're, they're very similar, um, but there's a, a helpful distinction here. The word transgressions, is, it means crossing a line, crossing a boundary. So if there is a line here and God says, don't do this, don't cross that line, to transgress that is to see that line, to know what you're doing, and to do it anyways. It's a, it's a very wicked thing to do, yet at times we've all done things just like that. Sin, on the other hand, is a word that comes from the world of archery. And I learned something a couple of years ago at the Olympics watching archery. Um, they are able to give a gold medal out in archery because there's not an archer, archer, an archer in the world who can hit the bullseye every time. There's not a one. Every single, even the, the best Olympic archers sometimes miss the bullseye. And in archery, the distance between the bullseye and where your arrow landed is called the sin distance. So that is to say that even if you were trying your hardest to do that everything, everything God wanted you to do, we would inevitably fall short. There would be times where we miss the mark, and that's called sin. Now, when David wrote Psalm 32, he talks about how his bones were wasting away, and his strength was sapped due to the weight of his sin. So he had sinned, he knew it, and he felt the consequences of it in his body. Have you ever felt that? Again, you ever laid awake at night just thinking about your sin and it just kind of starts to eat at you? David felt that, but then, I love this. Verse 5, he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David went to God by faith, asking for forgiveness, and God's response, it wasn't to say, you idiot, how dare you do that? It was to say, I forgive. The, the guilt was taken away. Now you might be wondering, where's faith in this? Verses 6 through 8, it doesn't mention faith. It talks about righteousness, but where's the faith? Well, the faith is the act of going to God. When we have sinned, we should go to God, confessing our sins to Him agreeing with him that what we have done is wrong, and then receiving the gift of forgiveness, the blessedness that is there. And I want you to know, our lives are better when we do it that way. To try to hang on to our own sin, it's just not worth it. Some people don't want to go before God and confess their sin because uh, maybe they're too prideful. Maybe, maybe they don't want to admit that what they did was wrong. Let's be people who go before God and confess our sins and receive the blessedness of those who are forgiven. Because the contrast is true. There is certainly an unblessedness in holding on to our sins. And God doesn't want us to do that. But if we go to God by faith, there's forgiveness and righteousness. So just some application questions here. Is there a sin you're caught in right now? Is there something that you know about? It's right in the front of your mind. You, you know you're doing something wrong. Confess that to God. Or maybe there's just something kind of hovering around you and you kind of think that there's something wrong. I just urge you to talk to God about that. Ask Him to show you your sin. 
Ask him to reveal to you what it is that you need to repent of and he will cleanse you. And again, I think our lives are better that way. Through God's grace and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be declared righteous. We who are not righteous on our own can be declared righteous by God as a gift for those who have faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, In 5.19, we see that God doesn't count our sins against us. Again, think about that. God is the best bookkeeper ever, and he knows what we have done. Yet it says that God is not counting our sins against us. Instead, our sins have been placed on Christ. Again, if there's two sides to the ledger there, our sins are placed on Christ. And what did Christ do? He died for our sins and paid the penalty for us. He also rose again victorious, showing that he has won the the victory over sin and death and the devil. And not only are our sins placed on Jesus Christ, but it says the righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed on us. It's an amazing transaction where we are cleansed and we are declared righteous. And through all this, God sets us in a relationship with himself. A relationship that obviously has benefits in eternity as we get to live with him forever. But it also has benefits now as he pours out his blessings on us who walk with him by faith now. Because as we say often here at Cornerstone, this, this life of faith isn't just simply about receiving Jesus Christ and then going our own way. It's about receiving Jesus Christ and then what does Colossians 2 say? Continue to live in him. And and did you know in Colossians 2, it could perhaps better be translated, walk around with him. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk around with him. That's how we're supposed to live our lives, with Jesus by faith, always seeking him, always going God's way instead of our own way. Just like Abraham, God showed him which way he wanted him to go. Abraham could have said, no, I kind of like my life, I'm going to stay here. But he didn't say that. He went by faith where God led him. So we are to keep walking by faith. What does that mean for us? I want to close with just a time of real practical application on the word faith. I think faith means a lot of things. One thing, it means regularly stopping to seek God. Regularly, throughout our lives, throughout our days, meeting with Him, talking to Him in prayer. God, what do you want me to do here? Is this what you want for me? How can I honor you? Meeting with Him in His Word. Spending time reading your Bible and hearing directly from Him. It also means gathering together as a group of believers who want to seek God together so we can encourage each other. Faith means submitting your will to God's will. Like in the Abraham story, or like Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I love that prayer because in it we set aside what we want and we say, God, even though it would be so easy for me to live my life according to what I want and do what I want to do, God, I submit my life to you now and I say, your will be done. It's one of the reasons I like to start off my day with the Lord's Prayer. To say to God, the first thing in the morning, your will be done. And then I try, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with God's strength, to live that way. And then faith obviously means, if you haven't yet received Jesus, it means to receive him now as Savior and Lord. And you can do that just by talking to him even right now in your heart, acknowledging that you're a sinner, 
committing your life to follow him asking him for forgiveness and then we know it doesn't stop there we know that we are to continue to walk with Jesus by faith and then faith also means in difficult times again anybody here going through a difficult time in difficult times it's easy for us to you know say I'll get back to God when things are easier I just need to figure things out right now in difficult times trust in God all the more seek him and tell him that you will live according to his ways tell him that you want to honor him and I believe that what will happen is that we will experience blessings if we do that it might not be the exact blessing the exact solution that you would hope for but there will certainly be blessings of God with you if you seek him by faith God has done many wonderful gracious things for us let's keep walking with him by faith would you pray with me Father I am glad that you have revealed these things to us that you have revealed to us that it's not about us trying to make it to you on our own because we don't have a righteousness of our own but through your love and grace you declare us righteous for those of us who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord So we come before you, God, and we praise you, our Savior, for forgiveness. We praise you, our Lord, who leads us. And we come before you again and commit ourselves to you and confess to you that we want to follow you all the days of our lives. God, I pray that we would not do that in our own strength, but in the strength that you provide and that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit to live the life that you created us to live. So help us to follow you and to continue to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.